The following audio was recorded at the Pacific School Leadership Institute, which was held October 24 and 25, 2019, in Spokane, Washington. Good morning. It's good to see you here. Um, there's still quite a few people downstairs, so I don't know if people are still coming in or not, but I think I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, respect matters and structure matters. Um, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. And there's something about that picture that has always fascinated me. And I think part of our deepest instinct as creatures created in the image of God is to draw order out of chaos. Something deep within us craves order and stability from, from little children as well as us adults. That is what we thrive on. It produces security. And chaos produces insecurity. Chaos triggers our survival instincts. It triggers defensiveness and distrust and disrespect and aggression. And so I want to make a point about the blurb on your, on your uh, programs regarding this topic. It says... Mutual respect and consistent structure are faltering in our schools. With today's emphasis on creativity and individuality, have we lost the benefits of firm structure and required respect? And I would, well, let me ask you a question. Can we require respect? I would suggest that we cannot require respect. I'm not faulting the wording there. It's, I'm splitting hairs here to make a point. We can and should require respectfulness. But we can only inspire respect. And how do we do that? Because given the choice, we should always choose respect over mere respectfulness. And so I would say that respect is a product of structure. We are not talking about two independently desirable merits or attributes of a healthy culture. We're talking about cause and effect. And so if we want respect and not just enforced respectfulness, then we must have structure. And so I would say, have we lost the benefits of firm structure and resultant respect? Something to think about. <clears throat> Brother Gerald said something this morning that, that I think is core to what I'm talking about, and that is our habits and practices inform our beliefs. And who we are is largely determined by what we do, or something to that effect. 
So that is, that is at the core of what I want to talk about this morning. What are we doing? And what is that, those actions and those repeated behaviors producing? Because what we do in large part determines what we are and who we become. If we want respect, we must provide the right environment for respect to develop. And that environment is order, it is consistency, it is predictable, it is stable. That's the kind of environment in which um, respect can properly develop. Now, I have a couple of disclosures here. For those of you who are familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test, um, on the fourth category there, I'm a strong P, which basically says uh, like a 90% uh, a P categorizer, which basically says I'm not structured. I fly by the seat of my pants. I make it up as I go. Uh, and I do. I, I, I'm not well organized. I, I work in bursts of inspiration. And I can easily get distracted and uh, get sidetracked and, and do three or four different things all at once. I don't know if any of you know Pat McManus, but he wrote a story. I can't even remember what it was called. But, but the, the plot was he needed to organize his life. And he read it, he heard or read some, some inspirational tip. Make a list. Great idea. Where's my pencil? And he went out to find a pencil. And late that night, he returned. That's me. That's how I operate. Uh, so, full disclosure. Second full disclosure, and perhaps the more damning one. I was born in 1985. You know what that makes me? A millennial. Everyone born between 1980 and 2000, raise your hand. Wow. We're all millennials. Yay, us, right? It's a very millennial thing to say. In 2013, Time Magazine published a cover story written by Joel Stein in which he says this. Or he, which was entitled, Millennials, the Me, Me, Me Generation. With a subtitle that read, <clears throat> Millennials are lazy, entitled, self-obsessed narcissists who still live with their parents. That's how it was on the cover of Time magazine. And so that's me. And uh, so those are my qualifications for speaking on mutual required respect and, and firm structure. My wife literally laughed out loud when I told her I was assigned this. And, um, and she, wouldn't, she didn't get over it. She was still laughing when I left. And so I, I'm not just saying that. Like I, I seriously am not a structured person. 
controlled chaos is the, about the best I can do. But despite that, that credibility deficit, I, I do strongly believe that it is something we must cultivate and develop. And people like me must enable and appreciate the people who can bring structure and predictability into our communities because it does take a village to raise a child or a community. And I do think there's something to what Joel Stein is saying about our generation. Now, somebody needs some? Nothing with me? Okay. Um, there is, there is, there does seem to be something going on which is eroding and destroying structure and respect in our world. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not old. And so I can't say how the good old days were, whether or not they were better. Sometimes I, I question that. You know, the good old days, I've said before, are rarely good, and they were rarely even old. Usually, what's being referred to is the cutting edge of the recent past, when people are talking about the good old days. And um, nostalgia is a, is a terrible liar. So I, I can't speak to that, but I can say I'm a little bit alarmed at, at what I see in my generation. And so I think there's a, a, a real a real reason to be concerned. But why should we think that cultivating a culture, an environment of respect and structure is important? Why should we think that? Because here again, we millennials ask, ask silly questions like that. We, we, don't, we don't tend to just accept because as an answer. And so, why? Why respect and... Is it actually better than open-ended type of thing? And, you know, why? Well, psychologists and sociologists today are more and more speaking out that yes, in fact... We need structure. We need respect. Apart from religion, we need this. However, we are religious. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, and it's talking about how to frame a proper learning environment. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject, subject to the prophets. In other words, you can control yourself. 
For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And he goes on there, we could read that whole chapter, and basically the whole chapter is dedicated to instructing the Corinthians to introduce order for the sake of learning. And so it's important. There are other passages we could read from Psalms and Proverbs and and many other places to make this point. But we must do things decently and in order. And we must embrace our vocation as creatures created in the image of God to participate in the divine ordering of chaos. I think it goes all the way back to why God created human beings the way he did. To dress the garden and keep it. We were to participate in the divine ordering of the void. It's part of who we are deeper than our DNA. It's important that we understand that. There are a number of excellent books discussing this accelerating breakdown in our American culture, homes, schools, and society. And um, like I said, there's a lot of good ones uh, or interesting ones. But as community leaders, and that's what you are, whether you know it or not, You are a community leader. You're either preaching from the pulpit or you're preaching from the pews. But you are a community leader if you exist and you breathe. You're impacting someone. No man is an island entire in himself, as the the saying goes. Okay, so as community leaders, read Dr. Leonard Sachs' books, especially The Collapse of Parenting, which... I saw it was out on the CLE book. Mr. Erb has it available there. Um, very interesting. He has two other books, uh, Boys Adrift and Girls on Edge, which are also quite good. And if you, if you really get, hit your stride, you could also read The Twelve Rules of Life or For Life by Jordan Peterson. Neither of these books are particularly religious. They're more, more about psychology and sociology than, than religion. But very interesting as we ask this question about respect and structure and why. Very interesting. Now, Dr. Sachs, in his book, The Collapse of Parenting, says that he, the, the things he's observing and talking about are drawn from, um, he says, more, well, well he's, a, he's a doctor and um, a, a family physician and uh, I believe he's a psychologist as well, but I'm not sure, I kind of forget, but He says he's drawing from over 90,000 office visits conducted from 1989 until 2017 when he published his book. 90,000 office visits, office visits, and he says what he sees is this, I quote, a massive transfer of authority from parents to kids. A massive transfer of authority. Who's making the decisions? The the kids, in his words. More and more. And he gives many, many examples of that. Now, we are conservative Anabaptists. We're Mennonites. We are insular communities. We are a subculture 
of American culture. We're insulated from all that. We, um, we are not affected by the pop psychology of the American mainstream. We believe the Bible. We believe in spare the rod and spoil the child. We remind each other how ridiculous parenting is these days, and, and we tell stories over the pulpit about the tantrums in the Walmart aisles. We're not affected by all that, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. And I can tell you why in two words. Social media. A man in the pulpit telling stories about tantrums in the grocery store and quoting Proverbs cannot compete with the sheer volume coming over Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and social media in general, WhatsApp statuses. Can't compete. And we do well to understand that. We live with so much noise, so many voices literally screaming in our face about how we ought to live and be and think. Metaphorically, of course, but that's the effect. So much noise, so many voices directly into our lives. And what are they screaming? Me, me, me. That's, what, that's what's being screamed. That's what's being promoted. Our entire culture, our, our environment, you step out the doors in the morning and you step into an environment expecting you to live for yourself. And therefore, tailor-made for people who live for themselves. And so simply existing and not living for yourself makes you uncomfortable. Because everything around you is shaped on the assumption that people will live for themselves and promoting that. That's the world, that's the environment we live in. And we feel... It's antipathy when we don't live for ourselves, when we feel its approval when we do live for ourselves. And only a small fraction of that persuasion takes place consciously. Most of that noise and most of that pressure and that persuasion takes place on the subconscious level. And we're not even aware that we're in an argument. That's why I say social media. That's why I say the preacher can't compete with social media unless we are paying attention. Unless we're paying attention. I had some quotes here. I didn't realize it till this morning that there was actually a book report scheduled for um, Dr. Sachs's book, The Collapse of Parenting. Um, and besides that, I think I have too much material here. But he says this, I have observed that even when kids use social media appropriately, meaning no cyberbullying, no sexting, the culture of social media is the antithesis of the culture 
of humility. It's all about self-promotion. There's a longer quote here that I will skip. But that's what this doctor's perspective is about what is happening. And we don't need to buy into the explicit postmodern parenting psychology coming out of the 60s that, that we heard about this morning, the chaos and the, and the rejection of authority. And so we don't need to explicitly buy into that theology or that, 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 those ideas because the challenges, by and large, are not coming explicitly. They're coming implicitly. And we have to understand that, that that is, that is what we're up against. And, and, and the world doesn't care if we keep the words respect and structure, so long as they can rewrite, rewrite the definitions and the expectations attached <laughs> excuse me, to those words. We can, we can advocate for respect and structure, and the world will say, Amen. But they don't mean respect and structure. They mean something else. And they'll slip that in implicitly. And so, it was uh, mentioned this morning several times again that the case of, of State versus Yoder and this school, public school, challenge and the world the world educating our children as the problem in state versus yoda and we want to educate our own children and so we will take our children out of the public schools and we'll do something else and we'll build barriers and we won't have tv and we'll and we'll cut off these voices these the, the these educational avenues of the world into our families and we will teach our children. But social media walks right through those traditional barriers. It walks right through. And our expectations and definitions of normal and our boundaries and our priorities will change through a kind of reverse osmosis process that we hardly even notice. Okay? We have to be paying attention, is my point. We have to be intentional. And we must consciously cultivate and develop. And here's the important word. Develop community behaviors that inculcate respect and structure. Because what we do determines what we are and who we are. I'm not against rules, which I suppose makes me an outlier among my millennial um, comrades. I'd like to try a few rules on social media and just see how it works. But I'm a little bit, I don't have a lot of confidence it would work. Because this is something that, unlike a TV set that you can just not buy, is something that is evolving faster than we can legislate for. And I'm afraid that, I shouldn't say I'm afraid, I suspect that this is one enemy that we are going to learn how to wrestle. We're not going to be able to just ban it effectively. Now we can for ourselves, and I, I, 
Not to pat myself on the back here, but I, I have. I never did like it. Way back, I never signed up for a Zanga account or, or MySpace and then Facebook and Instagram. I never, I just never liked it. And then after a while, it got to be a point of pride. And yeah, you know, so, so we can do that personally. And, and I would encourage you to do that. Just get rid of it. But, you know, it can be used for positive things. I do have WhatsApp. Um, but I like Telegram better because it doesn't have statuses. Um, anyway, my point being, I think we're going to have to learn how to wrestle with this one. The world is a different place. Just like the 1900s was a different place after the Industrial Revolution, or whenever that happened. The world we live in is a different place after the technological revolution. And we're right in the middle of it. We're riding the wave of the technological revolution. We're still trying, not even as a church, as a world, trying to figure out how to live with it. And the, and the impacts that it's having on us are still being uh, discovered and, and still happening. And so we're going to have to deal with that. But, but we must be intentional. The message, what I'm trying to say, if we don't even know this, then we will lose. If we understand it and intentionally find ways to interact with it, then at least we have a chance. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make here. This new challenge. We're going to have to do more than preach and teach but we're going to have to intentionally develop social behaviors and habits which foster cross-generational interaction. That's one of the big ones. That's one of the things that social media destroys is cross-generational interaction. And it allows us to isolate ourselves within peer groups. We have to instill social behaviors, and traditions which foster cross-generational interactions if we want to develop well-adjusted, respectful children. And that's a bit cumbersome to repeat, and so I'm going to use a word to describe that vision. And the word I want to use is establish. So for the sake of this morning, when I say we need to establish I'm talking about cultivating and developing social behaviors and habits and structures which inculcate a, a, an environment which inculcates respect and stability, emotional, spiritual maturity in our children, which is another way of saying our church tomorrow. Okay, we heard that. Very important to understand that. As I see it, there are three primary ways in which we as community leaders must establish this vision. The home, the school, and the church. Those are, those are fairly obvious, I think. Three primary areas which we must establish. And so I want to... I want to... Uh, talk a little bit now about those three areas. And I want to talk about ways in which we can intentionally 
prescribe what we do to produce the desired outcome. Because what we do matters. What we do affects who we are. In the home, establish consistent discipline. Okay. Nothing new there, right? Uh, was it last night where the Gerald said, told us to, to embrace a little bit of old-fashioned um, practices? Parents, fellow millennial slackers, don't be afraid of discipline in the home. And we must understand the importance of consistency, I think. And, and that's probably my biggest challenge, is, is consistency. Doing it consistently, which develops respect in our children. And if the boundaries are not clearly defined, or if the boundaries move around regularly, that is creating an unstable environment. And an unstable environment produces chaos. It's another way of saying chaos. We despise chaos as human beings. It's, the, it's an enemy. It's a threat, chaos is. And if we as parents are responsible for chaos in our children's lives, they will not respect us. They will disrespect us. Okay, what we do produces what we become. And they will act out that resentment and that disrespect by creating more chaos. And it's a cycle that we can get caught in. And, and understand this is not strictly a matter of a good brisk spanking. It's not just about corporal punishment. This is about consistency, consistency, about predictability, about clear understandings from our children about what is expected what is prohibited, and what the results will be. If they can rely on that, we're a long way down the road to where we need to be. Don't allow your children to talk back. Even if it is kind of cute. I have a two-year-old, a two-year-old, and... Um, He's a bit of a thug, and whenever I, I tell, and, and, and it, this takes judgment because they're, they're not always guilty of blatant disrespect, but he, whenever I correct him, he says, <sighs> you're such a bully. And he's not, I don't think he's being disrespectful. It's, you know, we told him, don't be a bully, and, and bullies are people who disappoint you. As, as, as much as he can figure out now. And, um, but at some point, that has to stop. It's not cute anymore. It has to stop. Because if we, if we just keep thinking it's cute, it goes right into the school, it goes right into the church, and what we do becomes who we are. So we need to pay attention. We need to be 
intentional. We need to be proactive. We need to be paying attention to these things. Don't, don't put up with eye rolling and arguing and rolling their eyes. I know we, again, I don't, I don't want to make a bigger deal out of this millennial thing. I keep saying it. But my generation, and particularly me probably, is not afraid of, of that back and forth um, as much. We're not so quick to say, um, you know, I'm the dad and you're going to do it. We, we're more willing to engage that. And, you know, I, I actually I do that with my two-year-old. I say, that's right, I'm a big, mean bully dad. That's, that's how I, and, you know, it's like this, this thing. And, but but we, we need to know when to stop. And we say, okay, no, this is the way it's going to be. Stop talking about it now. My, my, my six-year-old boy is, is well past the cute stage. And, and he talks and he talks and he talks about, about these things that he doesn't see as being quite equitable. And uh, I've said before, I, I have to tell him sometimes, listen, shut your mouth. Breathe through your nose. Otherwise, it's just words. It just comes out. And Okay, I'll move on here. But, but we as millennials who aren't so much afraid of that interaction and can kind of do it and we're used to it, we have to take a step back and say, and see you know, the next 50 years about what is happening and how deeply these things get ingrained. Number two, I need to move quicker here. Established regular mealtimes. And, and here's where I do want to read an extended quote from Dr. Sachs, because I think this is fascinating and terrifying. And here again, we, we Mennonites are not impacted by this, right? We eat together. Established regular mealtimes. We do this. Keep track. Especially you younger guys. Keep track how many suppers you miss in a week. It's more than you think. This is what he says. Eat dinner with your kids and no cell phones allowed. No TV in the background during dinner. Every meal counts. In a recent survey of 26,078 Canadian adolescents from a wide range of backgrounds, urban and rural, affluent and low income, researchers asked each kid, in the last seven days, how many days have you had a meal with a parent? Kids who had more meals with parents were less likely to have, quote, internalizing problems such as feeling sad, anxious, or lonely. They were less likely to have externalizing problems such as fighting, skipping school, stealing, etc. They were more likely to help others and to report feeling satisfied compared with kids who had, and, and to report feeling satisfied with their own lives. The difference, and, and here's where I find interesting, the difference wasn't just between kids who had seven evening meals a week with a parent compared with kids who had none. At almost every step from zero up to seven meals a week, each extra dinner a child had with a parent decreased the risk of both internalizing problems and externalizing problems and increased both pro-social behavior and the child's general satisfaction with life. The change was statistically significant at almost every step 
For example, when you compare kids who have six dinners per week with a parent to kids who have five dinners per week with a parent, you will find kids who have six dinners a week enjoy significantly better well-being, demonstrate significantly more pro-social behavior, and have significantly fewer internalizing problems such as anxiety and depression, and significantly fewer externalizing problems. Acting out, fighting, compared with kids who have five dinners a week with a parent. That one extra meal with a parent, the difference between five evening meals a week together and six evening meals a week together, makes a difference. Every step from zero to seven evening meals a week with your parents has a measurable, statistically significant impact on the well-being of our children. That's a massive study examining, surveying 26,078 adolescents across a wide range of backgrounds. I think that's terrifying. Establish regular meals together and make an effort to draw your children into adult conversations. Ours often become a massive battle to get food in mouth. But make an effort to make mealtimes more than a contest of the wills. Make it a, a starting point from which you can spin off into many other positive engagements where there's conversation and there's ideas and there's... Okay, I'm going to have to move more quickly here. Establish chores. These are behaviors that promote an environment in which respect can thrive. Establish regular devotions. Establish prayer times. Evening, evening, good night kisses and, and a good night prayer. I've been amazed at how much my children latch on to those, I call them punctuation marks for the day. That just provides something that is predictable, something that is that they can, they can see coming. It provides closure to the day, in the morning, afternoon, wherever these punctuation marks come. They're landmarks in the life of your children. And they're at rest and they're at peace when they, they know where they're at. And it just brings peace and security. Rather than chaos in which... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Defensive behaviors come out. Invest in outdoor play equipment rather than devices. About a year ago, I, 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 uh, one thing led to another. I ended up with a massive back concrete patio. I was slightly embarrassed with it when I got done. But you know what? That is one splurge that I do not regret. I was not prepared for how that huge patio just outside our, our dining room doors drew us out as a family. It just pulls us out. We find ourselves out there all the time ripsticking and riding bike or just having coffee. It's just a, a, my point is invest, spend money, like real money, spend it to set, to set up structures and create spaces that, that encourage behavior, positive behaviors, outdoor play and so on. Don't just say, go outside and play. Help them develop an environment in which it pulls people out. 
<clears throat> okay, I wanted to move on. Uh, the school, the home is the most important, I think, in establishing that foundation of respect and structure. Then they go on into school. Establish collaboration and buy-in from the parents. This is so important. Don't ask me how to do it, but this is important. We have to somehow figure out how to get people on board with this vision. That I'm not just sending my children to school. I'm not just sort of happy-go-lucky through life. We're thinking like we heard about the next 50 years. This is a project. And we're working together. And so we show up at the teachers' meetings. We don't complain about the extra work. We show up. We support. We do. Because, we're, because these things matter. And we're doing this intentionally. Establish discipline, again. Clearly defined roles of authority and subordinates. And it should be very clear that our children obey not just their teacher, but all the teachers. Not just my parents, but all the adults in the community. Those types of things. We need to talk about them and tell our children that. Establish career teachers. We've been very blessed at our, at our school, not, I think, mostly through blind luck or perhaps just an a, uh, undeserving assist from God. But I don't know. Mr. John, how many years of experience do we have between our four teachers? Thirty-six-ish? Okay. Between our four teachers... They're excellent teachers, and they provide that structure and that continuity from year to year that is so important. And man, it's expensive. Our school is so expensive. But we need to invest in career teachers. I'm not saying that we've done such a great job of that. Um, but, it, but it's important, and we need to work on that. We must strive to pay our teachers enough to make teaching a viable career path. Establish positive school traditions, programs, uh, themed meals and cookouts, costume days, whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, make them meaningful. Try to make them meaningful. But I would suggest that more important is the regularity and the predictability of school traditions that your children use as landmarks to navigate this terrifying new world that they're trying to navigate. It produces an environment in which respect can thrive. Establish your church community. Go to potlucks. Go to the singing. Go to prayer meeting. Support the school functions because... Those traditions, we talked about the threshing machines, make an effort to manufacture threshing machines for no other reason than that our children need the stability and the familiarity of tradition to stabilize their lives. Work for traditions that are meaningful. But, it, but if all else fails... Just establish a reference point that your children can, can rely on because that familiarity helps create the environment and the things we do. And, and these are things that are not just religious ideas. These are things that sociologists and psychologists today are pointing to and saying, this is why America is experiencing the problems that it's experiencing. 
Go to revival meetings, Bible conference, go on church camping trips. We go every two years. Some people hate it, some people love it. But go. Because we need those punctuation marks in our communities. I think it would be a great idea to create age-based milestones, such as the Mexican, uh, uh, not Cinco de Mayo, I forget what they call it, but when they, when they come a certain age, it's a big deal, or the Orthodox Jewish bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Those types of things produce stability. Okay, I need to stop here. Celebrate holidays, make a big deal out of them, whichever ones you believe in. I'm not going to get into that. In summary, what can we do to inculcate a respectful, orderly environment in our homes, schools, and communities? We must do more than instruct and spank. We must intentionally set up behaviors and habits that create an environment in which respect can thrive. We must establish collaboration across our community. And we must get off social media. And I'm talking to the parents, not the children. Obviously the children. But you parents, get off social media and interact with your children. Okay, I'm going to close with that. If you come to my community, you will not see all these things in action. You might see one or two, and we're working on another one, and, and we keep working on it. So that's, that's, I'm not trying to discourage you, but pick one or two, and when you've got that one established, move on to another one. What we do largely determines what we become. That's my message. Thank you.